and welcome back to uh canadian ruck podcast this is uh this is our fifth podcast and uh just want to let everybody know it's been great chatting rugby uh it's, it's a nice passion of mine uh i think you probably get the sense of that i'm always looking uh and interested in chatting with people that love to talk rugby on uh, the past weekend uh, i was in i was at st john high uh listening to ian wilson speak ian's one of the uh, top referees in new brunswick and he was talking about high tackle laws and things like that and then we just chatted afterwards for you know 15 20 minutes and then uh, you know chatting with grant beckingham in there and uh, jeff Ware, who coaches st john high and it's just a nice environment when you get those opportunities it's always great chatting rugby with some some great rugby people and i've been enjoying the interview process uh, i've been lucky enough uh, to reach out to some people you know cole keith was very willing to to talk the first uh, for the first podcast he's been doing well with the toronto arrows they just uh, you know they were just down in georgia and and Cole in that front row and the entire scrum just dominated that Atlanta Georgia or that Atlanta scrum. Uh, it was a great, great game to watch. Uh, you know, then lucky enough that Chauncey O'Toole still lives in the area and we met for a, for a beer and had a, had a nice conversation. And, you know, we, we follow that up with East Peller and the president of the MBRU. And then, you know, we, we aim high and we, we got the president of the Toronto Arrows last podcast. We got to speak with Bill Webb and listen to his thoughts on the Arrows and uh, forecasting what they're going to be doing for their future. Uh, and this podcast, you're going to be equally as, uh, as happy as I was. I got uh, had a great time chatting with our with our guest today and we'll, we'll get to him in a few minutes. Uh, but I, I just want to say thanks to all those who have been uh, messaging me and offering feedback and reached out and showed a little bit of appreciation for the podcast. Um, you know, it's nice to hear that. So it's not uh, it's not just me uh, thinking I'm the only one listening. So it's uh, it's great when you when when you receive that feedback and people are in, enjoying the message we're putting across. Uh, if you ever again ever have any questions, if you want to discuss uh, want some discussion ideas or have guest requests or you want to pop on, if you want to talk rugby, that would be great. And you can always contact us at Twitter. We're at Canadian Ruck, Instagram the underscore the uh, underscore Ruck, Facebook at the Canadian Ruck. And our email is thecanadianruck at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out if you have any thoughts or or you have any interest in uh, uh, in the podcast itself. So, you know, without uh, without beating around the bush too much, uh, we're going to chat a few minutes on uh, some different rugby philosophy, and then we're going to introduce our, our special guest. This week we have Jeb Sinclair. Uh, Jeb's a good Fredericton high boy, uh, played a little bit with the Loyalists in Fredericton. And, and he eventually found his way into Rugby Canada, and he had stops with the London Irish and with the Cape Town Stormers. And uh, he's he shares some great stories in our conversation, and uh, I was laughing pretty much the whole way throughout. Um, what a what a guy. He, he's definitely a morning person. He's out in BC, and I'm in New Brunswick. And Jeb and I chatted, uh, I guess it was roughly 9 a.m. here in New Brunswick, which means it was about 5 a.m. out there for him. And he was more awake than I was. I was on March break. Uh, he was just getting ready to go into work. And we, we, you know, we sat and, you know, enjoyed a phone conversation for a good 40 minutes or so and laughed, uh, laughed the entire time. Uh, I think you'll definitely enjoy listening to Jeb and his stories about his upbringing in rugby and how that started. And, you know, to stops um, higher up with Rugby Canada and playing some professional rugby overseas. Uh, it's really great. Make sure you stay tuned because it is it's uh, he was one of he's 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 great to talk to. Um, so a few different things, uh, and you know, Jeb will talk uh, uh, touch on this a little bit through the questioning that we had. But 
I guess we're trying to figure out always how do we get more players involved? What sets us apart from other sports? You know, hockey is Canada's sport. Basketball uh, is, is making a strong bid in there as well as does football and, you know, those four major North American sports. But what what does rugby do that separates it? And, you know, Jeb talks about camaraderie and tours, and that's one thing that I've always thought is amazing as well, the camaraderie that you, you get from playing rugby. And, and especially, particularly, going on tour with your teammates. Um, I've been fortunate enough to uh, to travel as a player. I went to the United Kingdom back in 1994 in grade 12, and uh, that was an amazing, you know, 16 days traveling with 30 other guys. Um, we did okay. We got hammered by Scotland, and we got hammered by Wales. Uh, we tied an English squad, and then we actually... We actually only lost by like ten or something like that to a um, to an under twenty three team in England. Um, games aside, it brought us together. We came home that year and we dominated high school rugby. I think we gave up maybe one or two tries the entire season. Like it, we just dominated teams because we were that much close closer together. Um, from there, as a coach, uh, I did some tours with Blyle Regional High and Grant Beckingham has helped him on some trips down to New York and Long Island. And from there, coaching myself, uh, I, we try and do trips every every second or every third year. Uh, we've done New York a few times. We've been to Boston. Uh, our big stretch is we've been trying to get over to uh, to Portugal for this massive international tournament, but it's just always out of our reach. Um, this year, unfortunately, we were trying to get to Montreal and uh, Montreal high school teams. At the time when we were bidding or asking for hosts, uh, they were unable to commit, and uh, it looks like this year we won't be going anywhere, unfortunately. But uh, we have some other things in the mind uh, in mind uh, to bring the team together. One thing my UK tour did, uh, and I tell this story to my to my players that I coach, is we have uh, we have man of the match awards afterwards. We've got a few. We've got we give one out, uh, you know, in honor of Richie McCaw, one in honor of Gareth Reese, and the other one is uh, our Gavin Hastings man of the match trophy, and. Uh, when I was on tour in '94 over in the UK, we were in uh, we were in Scotland where Hastings played, and yeah, we were you know at their clubhouse afterwards, and uh, they had all this memorabilia of Hastings, and uh, had this beautiful trophy in, in commemoration of him, and uh, somehow the the trophy uh, fell off display and got broke, and you know we felt miserable about it, and. Uh, Quite a few years later, uh, I was at my parents' house and uh, cleaning out some things, and lo and behold, here's this uh, part of this trophy in an old uh, storage bin of mine, and I swear I have no idea how it got there, uh, but there it was. So we actually, uh, we have that now, and we give it out to, to players of the match, the Gavin Hastings Trophy player of the match, and it's basically, it's a crown, and you, and you put it on their head like a crown, and I think for our players, it's just this nice little piece of rugby history and they get to be a part of it. And no offense, Gavin, if you hear this, but uh, um, it's it's made our rugby team that much more close bonding-wise for sure. Um, I was reading the hockey news the other day and there there's a, there's a school in Colorado that uh, um, they they do this call, it's Vail International Hockey Tours and they, and they go all over the world. Every year they make these big trips. And it's, it's a way for them, same thing what you do with rugby, is that you do these massive tours uh, to bring your team together to promote the, to promote the sport and to promote, um, I guess, different ways of life. And in the article, they, you know, one of the first trips they did overseas, uh, they were in, uh, in Russia in 1985, I guess the USSR at the time, 
and uh, all the all these teams that they contacted thought they were bringing over this national side because why would a bunch of Americans travel to the USSR unless they were planning on winning? Uh, and you know they went on this first tour and they were getting thumped, but it was it was more about you know the players learning different cultures and meeting you know fellow people that enjoy hockey and different ways of that uh, of bringing that to. And I think that's what we do when we do rugby tours. Um, it's great when we go down to New York and, and, and into Boston. The, there are teams that, that host us are always very gracious. Their their families come in, their parents come in, and, and they make us a they make us a nice meal, and they um, they get to you know the boys get to socialize with them a- afterwards. And you know it's not like senior rugby, or, you know where there's a beer and stuff, but there's uh, there's a chance to sit and have a Gatorade, um, take some photos learn a little bit about other programs we try and do that with our our high school home games where after each match win or loss you you take a you take a group photo of both teams together uh, we try and have gatorade uh, or if not at least water there for the opposition where they can you know share a drink with their opposition um, that's always that's always good that's that's a great way to kind of help students and help athletes understand why rugby is important and what's important about rugby um Another another aspect that we talked about we talked about with Jeb and I I've, I've mentioned this before and I think Eve did as well is getting some more help from senior players uh, with the high school middle school teams uh, you know there's a lot of players around the province and it would be awesome if we could get those guys out helping at different high schools you don't have to commit and be the head coach but if you could commit to one or two days a week where you could come to practice and lend a hand lend a lend an expertise set of hands at, uh, on drills and contact and skills and things like that i think that will go a long way into helping reestablish, um reestablish, i guess uh some dwindling numbers maybe maybe put our, our stake back in new brunswick and, and other provinces with uh with bringing more rugby to the fourfold so this kind of i guess brings me to one thing i i've always thought as a coach and i just i just tweeted out a few days ago uh some coaching philosophy um, some books that I've enjoyed that have helped me, uh, I guess, develop as a coach. And the first one is, is called uh, Coach and by Michael Lewis. And this book, uh, I guess, really helped me understand that winning, I've always said that winning doesn't matter unless you get paid. And this book really kind of hammered that home. Um, it is always great to get rewarded for your effort but sometimes that doesn't happen you know when you start a game there's a 50 50 chance where you're going to come out on the losing end Um, so my my thought has been you know the pros get paid and that's why there's an emphasis on winning in that culture but that breeds down to the younger younger programs and if you have kids that think that they they can only win to have fun they're missing a huge part of the sporting environment not just rugby but anywhere and i honestly believe that you know, it is nice to win, but at the end of the day, if you're only happy from winning, then there's a good chance that you're not going to be happy after a match. So why is that emphasis there? What are your thoughts? Um, I'm not saying that just because you play, you need a ribbon. I don't agree with that either, but there's got to be more to it than just winning there. The process that's involved, the the skills learned, the mental uh, ability to rebound from a loss so that you're you're not sulking for days on end like how can you compartmentalize that and learn from it and then move forward and advance forward those are the things that really should be focused on especially in youth rugby and youth sports and uh, i i think some more of that needs to happen 
by all means, uh, don't give a ribbon to every team that participates. Uh, I, I don't agree with that, I, but I, I do think that uh, less of an emphasis on winning is something that does need to happen. <laughs> I also read an interesting article the other day um, about grassroots rugby and the culture of the first 15s aspect. It was in The Guardian uh, a few days ago uh, last week. And basically, the, 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 uh, the author... Um, Michael uh, Alwyn uh, argues that there's too much of an emphasis on on starting on the on just the top players, and the, you know I, I, it kind of talks about like jersey presentations and things like that and laying out your top fifteen. But what about what about the rest of the guys? What about the guys that are playing different levels of rugby? Uh, if your focus is only on the best, then why would people want to join? Why are why are there people going to want to take part? Uh, that's one thing I've always thought about rugby is just this great massive team culture where, you know, if you have 30 guys on the roster, they're all just as important as the next. Sure, you might have a guy that has more skill or a guy that has a better tackler. One guy can kick and another guy can't, but they're all intricate pieces to that to that roster that you field each game. And if you can't see that as a coach, then maybe you shouldn't be coaching or maybe um, maybe rugby's not the sport for you. But it was pretty interesting. Uh, our school team, we we try and you know everybody's the same. There's no, you know, we might have rookies, but we don't treat them like rookies. We treat everybody the same. Um, they have to earn their stripes like everybody else, but everybody's treated fairly and with safety in mind. So if I've got a grade nine kid that's working his tail off, but I don't think he's safe enough. It's safe enough for him to play because, you know, maybe it's a size issue or maybe it's a he's. You can tell he's. He's timid in going into contact. Well, then we work with him a little bit harder to get him ready. Um, but at the end of the day, he's treated the same way as my, you know, as the captains on our team, because everybody's as important as the next. You know, you kind of get dressed in a circle. Everybody can see each other. Everybody can look in each other's eyes and kind of get mentally prepped as a team, as opposed to, uh, you know, here's your first fifteen, and then everybody else is over there. Here's our veterans and the rookies. You guys are over there. We. <clears throat> that's not something that should be a part of rugby or a part of sport because it's at the end of the day these these kids are going to be human beings longer than they're going to be rugby players and what can we teach them that's going to make them want to stay with rugby for as long as they can so you know for youth the focus really shouldn't it be on fun skill development teamwork problem solving things like that um, it's just my thoughts my philosophy disagree by all means um, reach out um, but those are just some thoughts that I've lived with for quite a while, and I, I like to get a chance to talk about it once in a while. But I really think that uh, there's too much of an emphasis on winning and not enough on the fun and the skill development aspect, the teamwork aspect, the collaboration, the camaraderie aspect of what rugby truly is. And uh, the higher up you go, you know, maybe those maybe those thoughts change, but you still need 15 guys on the field or 15 girls on the field working together to play as opposed to one or two key people that are, you know, maybe supremely talented. We'll get into that culture aspect in another podcast when we bring on Jack Hanratty. Uh, one interesting thing, what I didn't, and I didn't realize with this with Jeb, but um, he didn't start playing until high school, and he'll talk about it with uh, information, uh, you know, about he, he was injured and uh, decided, he, you know, he missed a winter sport and decided to pick up rugby, and, you know, Lo and behold, he was a late late comer to rugby, but he ended up playing professionally and making Team Canada. Um, 
so I guess you look at it, there's a lot of great athletes in Canada that, you know, focus on just hockey or just basketball or just soccer or what have you. And, you know, maybe they, maybe they play junior B hockey somewhere because that's as far as they go because there are so many people that play hockey. But if you, if you give rugby a chance, there's a, there might be the possibility that you can advance if you've got some good athletic ability and proper coaching and, you know, you focus on that, that teamwork aspect, there's a good chance you could, in, you know, improve and, and move higher up into the Team Canada ranks. I mean, it doesn't happen with everybody. Jeb is definitely um, a quality, high-quality player. And, uh, but it was interesting to hear that, um, hear his path to get to Team Canada and to get to professional rugby. So we won't, uh, we won't beat around the bush too much longer here. Again, anytime you want to you wanna reach out, email, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I'd be happy to hear from you. Shout out to a few guys that have, uh, that have messaged like Archie and Bales and, and Double. You guys, have, uh, you guys have made my day by reaching out, and I really appreciate it. Will Hand, same thing. Uh, great stuff. Um, but we're going we're gonna to take a short break, uh, just a little breather, and we're going to get Jeb on the line. And uh, I really hope you listen and have a good laugh. You know, pop this on in the car while you get a bit of a drive. Uh, just be careful on the road because your eyes might water a little bit from the tears because you're laughing so hard. But uh, this is a definite, a definite good one to have a couple of beers and uh, enjoy the show. And uh, we'll be back to you later. Thanks. Well, welcome back. Uh, after the short break, there we have Jeb Sinclair on the line. Uh, as I mentioned, Jeb's a, a native of uh, of Fredericton, New Brunswick. Uh, played some time with Loyalists and uh, Team Canada, and he's gonna he's been gracious enough to come online here. It's uh, it's quite early where Jeb is. He's out west in BC. It's a little after five in the morning. Uh, he says he's an early riser, and uh, I'm on March break right now, so I actually just get out of bed. So that's how uh, that's how these podcast things work sometimes. <laughs> anyway, so Jeb, welcome, uh, welcome to the Canadian Ruck. Thanks for having me. That's awesome. All right, so I just uh, I, I get a feel for uh, for your transition. We spoke a little bit about it before we started recording the call, but just talk a little bit about your uh, transition from high school to Spruce and Loyalist and uh, Team Canada right up to the World Cup in 2011. out on like a whole season of uh, playing hockey and come sort of March when rugby starts up at the school level uh, I was just craving doing some sort of team sport and the only one that you can kind of walk on to is rugby right so I just showed up uh, to play rugby and had never seen it had never played um, and, and the coach was just like yeah the rules are pretty simple you gotta run forward and pass backwards <laughs> First game I ever saw on TV, I'd like to go on the uh, England Australia final in 2003. Nice. England ended up winning. Yeah, Johnny Wilkinson's um, uh, drop goal there. Yeah, a couple drop goals. <laughs> um, and kind of just fell in love with it from there. And then ended up, uh, I guess, playing for the Loyalists whenever I graduated high school. I played maybe two years for the Loyalists. Um, and I was going to university and wasn't really majoring anything specific <laughs> uh and so uh keith mcalpine um his brother-in-law was uh ran a club in edinburgh or was 
was, you know, connected in a club in Edinburgh. Right. So in like November of whatever, 2006, uh, I hopped on a plane, moved to Edinburgh, ended up playing that whole, the whole winter there. Um, and into the spring. And then when I came back, there was a Canada East versus Canada West game. Um, I can't remember where it was exactly. Um, but everyone from Canada East had obviously been snowed in and hadn't really trained. And I'd played, I don't know, 12 or 14 games on the trot. So (laughs) it wasn't that I was, it wasn't that I was like particularly good or advanced or anything. It was just that I was probably the more game ready at that time. So when we played, went to play the Canada West team who had, you know, they play, uh, all through the winter out here, um, in, in BC anyway. Um, yeah, I guess I had a, a leg up on most of my Canada East uh, teammates. That's that's yeah, that's helpful for you, absolutely. So you enjoyed the process. You kind of you had some unfortunate breaks with the mountain biking incident, and then it, it kind of rolled into a, a lucky break with uh, with Canada East. There, by the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, you can. Uh, you know, ask my dad. I wasn't going anywhere with hockey, so at <laughs> 15, it was probably it was probably time to hang up the skates. Anyway, you know what hockey's like on the East Coast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, that's that's interesting. I didn't realize that story about the broken leg with a mountain bike. That's one of the things we talked about on the podcast. Is is uh, you know the safety of rugby and how you can get injured in any sport. And I, I dug up some data and of the 20 of 20 high school sports. In the states, they actually um, did a study to find out which injury, which sports cause the most injuries. And rugby was ranked nineteenth out of twentieth. The only team, the, yeah. the only sport behind it was bowling. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you can look at the data in a couple different ways. Like, you know, maybe not as many people play rugby as play, you know, basketball or soccer or football or whatnot. But the numbers were there that you know there were less going to the hospital for a rugby injury than you know. 18 other sports so it was uh it was it's interesting to read that's for sure and I, I like to show that to parents when they talk about how rugby's not safe and you know i've had kids at my school that played on my rugby team in high school here in rosse and they've been injured mountain biking as well or i had i had a kid who was excited to try rugby for the first time this year and he broke his femur skiing a couple of weeks ago so i think it's uh you know injuries happen in, in any sporting events so i think yeah I- I mean, I think in rugby, you're going to get way more cuts and bruises than any other sport. Yeah. Um, But as far as any injuries that keep you out for a long period of time, um, not, you know, knock on wood, I don't think there's that, there's not that many coming from from rugby. That being said, when I did end up, when I did end up playing professionally, I, you know, towards the end of my career, my body started to deteriorate. Yeah quite quickly and i started to sustain some pretty bad injuries yeah and just break down after eventual time and i think i think the same for me i mean i I just played senior here in new brunswick and stuff and when you're uh at the time when i retired or hung up my cleats in 03 there wasn't really a lot around injury management and things like that so you just you know you rip some ligaments in your ankle you just you just put extra tape on it the next week right so I, I think that stuff has kind of changed a little bit over the over the last fifteen years and how to pre- you know how to prevent and how to recover from injuries. But you know, it is what it is, and I, I wouldn't change any of my time for it. That's for sure. 
So looking at your Facebook, your Twitter profile, you've got one of the best <laughs> cover photos ever. You're, you're standing there shaking hands and bowing with the queen. Talk to us about that because that, that looks like it's pretty interesting. Like where was that? When did it happen? Why, why did you meet the queen and things like that? Um, so that was October 2015 uh, at Buckingham Palace. Um, I was living, I was living and playing in England. I moved over there in 2011. Um, and so we, we played the World Cup. Um, obviously went 0 and 4. Lost every game. Hey, there were some good games though. Yeah, there were some good games. Obviously, the Romania and Italy game were close. Yeah. We should have probably won both of those. Um, and then uh, France and Ireland got a little bit away from us. Yeah. Um, but it was supposed to be it was supposed to be the captains of every team in the World Cup were to were uh, invited to go meet the Queen. Right. And on. Um, I guess the day before, Gareth Reese, who was our general manager or whatever he was of Rugby Canada, yeah. uh, messaged me and said that he had forgotten to tell Ardron, who was our captain, <laughs> yeah. that that this was going on. And uh, since I lived in London and I wasn't that far from Buckingham Palace, he was like, hey, do you want to go? And I kind of, I thought he was shitting with me. I thought he was just uh, pulling a prank or something like that. Um <laughs> So, but then I got the the official invite from Buckingham Palace, and uh, a car came to pick me up. So I threw on the red blazer that we wore for that World Cup, yep. and took the nice black car into uh, into Buckingham Palace. <laughs> That's pretty neat. Did you ever tell uh, Did you ever tell Reese that you didn't believe him? Or oh yeah, I I <laughs> even told him on the phone. I'm like, listen, I'm not going there, mate. It's tra- <laughs> there's lots of traffic. Don't. Don't screw with me like that. But no, uh, a couple a couple minutes later, I, or a couple hours later, I got the official invite from whoever it was at the the palace that sends those things out. Right, that's awesome. Um, not to put you on the spot here, but I, I've heard from a few uh, New Brunswick guys that you're you've got some great stories. Uh, I can hear it just listening to you tell your tell these little things here, but. Anything with Team Canada that stands out, some great times on the bus, in the hotel, at the World Cups, what have you? Is there anything that, I guess, stands out to you that you can, that, you know, that you can tell in a semi-PG sort of way that's uh, that's a good for a laugh that, you know, promotes rugby and rugby in Canada? Uh, <laughs> that's the problem. These, P, these PG stories and what you can get away with and who you don't want to get into trouble. Well, as you don't want to burn um, anybody, so. <laughs> I think, um, I think the best part about you know, playing with Canada, certainly at the beginning, um, when we were, uh, you know, it was, it was purely amateur. So after the game, you could, you could sneak out for a couple beers and buy yep. a couple, I mean, 14, 16, whatever it was. <laughs> uh, and there was, there wasn't a whole lot of oversight with that because it, it wasn't a job. Yeah. Um, we treated it like a job, but you know, we all had, sort of full-time work back wherever we were living. A couple of the guys are playing professionally. Um, but realistically, you could just, after games, you could just get out. And I mean, my thing was, I I slept through about three flights for Rugby Canada and was <laughs> always getting shit on by Kieran Crowley. Uh, it, it would be 
we go on these November tours. We play, I don't know, I guess four games over November. Yeah. And for and we do our, you know, exit interviews. The guys who are living in Victoria and were uh, with Crowley every day, we wouldn't do our exit interviews um, on tour. We'd do them the next week when we were back in Victoria. Yeah. And it always seemed I'd miss the last flight back or miss a connecting flight or out of wherever we were playing. And we played in some weird places. Um, and I'd have to be sitting there just getting grilled like four days later after missing flights. Um, so there was a few good ones like that. I'm trying to think. I don't really have any. The very first... Uh, Canada East, Canada West tour that Chauncey and I went out on. Um, we were from New Brunswick. I guess it was my second one and his first one. Right. And uh, not many people from New Brunswick, well, Atlanta, Canada, let alone New Brunswick, uh, had made these types of teams up until then. Right. Um, so they room us. They assume that you know New Brunswick is. There's not many people there. These two, these two guys must be best friends and must know each other. But yeah. Chauncey and I had only ever played like against each other, really. Uh, <laughs> and at that point, and at that point, weren't that close. So they've, uh, and in reality, we were we were rivals at the time yeah. between you know Belle Isle and Loyalist and Belle Isle and Fredericton High. Right. We played a little bit on the Spruce. Um, so they've looked at the team sheet and they're like, there's these two names, Jeb Sinclair and Chauncey O'Toole. Like, what are these rednecks doing out here? Like, who's na- who's naming people east of Toronto? Like, what's wrong? Um, and so we showed up and we're roommates. And but like I said, we're not particularly close. And he's, I mean, sometimes like trying to talk to a rock. He's so bloody quiet. Um, <laughs> And, yeah, uh, that sounds so we, reasonable. We, we trained for the week. We trained for the week or the 10 days or wherever it was. I don't think either of us played in that game. So they, they bring sort of 25, 28 guys on these tours. And then you train until Wednesday. And then they name, name the team like Wednesday night or Thursday morning. And we didn't, we weren't in the team. Um, and, uh, but afterwards, you know, he likes rum and I like rum. Um, sorry. And between us, I think we had about $45. So all the boys are going out to Earl's for a couple of drinks. And we're like, well, we can't fully drink at Earl's. We're just going to have to have a few casual ones here and then go to Earl's just for a top up later on. Right. Um, I mean, long story short, we end up getting in a scrap. <laughs> Not with each other. Like, with each other. Yeah. Oh, with each other. <laughs> yeah. With each other. Um, beat up our hotel room like uh, and uh, I was staying in Victoria I got asked if I wanted to stay and, and train for the Carter team after that so yeah. I was staying in Victoria and Chauncey was getting up to get a flight back east to, to Fredericton yeah. and we're trying to sneak out and the hotel room's destroyed <laughs> and we're like we gotta get out we gotta get out of here we don't have a dime to pay for this uh, so, so we're slinking out black eye you know bloody lip uh broken nose between us oh, and uh i'm on the i think i'm on the ferry from vancouver to victoria it's about uh, probably the 9 a.m ferry about 
nine thirty or ten o'clock, I get a call from the manager. What the hell did you guys do to that room? They're, they're not letting us check out until we pay. They're taking the damage deposit. I'm like, oh yeah, I uh, I think Chauncey did it, but he's on a flight. I'm not sure. I haven't. Uh, I'm not sure what you're talking about. What room was that? Um, no, that wasn't our room. Jeez. And uh, so like. That went on for that went on for a couple of weeks and then or a couple of months maybe and then we were back in Vancouver uh, for another Canada East Canada West or Canada some sort of trial or something and the managers picked us up and we've had to go over to the hotel and present a jersey and pay the pay the damage like three months later so that was. Uh, that was one of the first times Chauncey and I got together. And not in our last fight, actually, either. Really? You guys get along now, though, eh? Yeah. Oh, we got along then. I think uh, just, I think it's only your best friends that you can punch in the face. Just don't drink rum with each other. Well, not with Chauncey, yeah. He's a uh, loose unit. I remember that a lot, because when we got together, we went to Foghorn Brewery near in Rosse, and it was just beer. So I'll have to remember that next time we get together to keep them, uh, keep them off the rum. I don't, I don't yeah, really want to pick a fight with them. <laughs> get him some spice rum and diet pepsi spice rum and diet pepsi all right just see what happens yeah <laughs> sounds good that was a good one i like that um you talked a little bit about uh you know the amateur aspect of it how do you think major league rugby will help i guess rugby canada or just rugby players in general in north america i had uh, bill webb on a few days ago he's on the latest podcast he's the president of the toronto arrows um it's great. I, I really enjoy watching that rugby. It's nice to have uh, some professional rugby in, in, in Canada and North America. Uh, I'm not sure if you if you follow me. I guess Seattle will be relatively close for you, but how is that going to help Rugby Canada moving forward, do you think? I think it's just a way that uh, it's still going to be a, a stepping stone, I guess, to um, the higher levels of professionalism in Europe. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that if, if you know, the players that are playing for Canada now or playing in the MLR and want to play for Canada and want to genuinely, you know, compete and win for Canada, the goal still has to be to get over to Europe. Yeah. Um, I mean, the MLR games look good and it's, and it's a good spectacle, but it's still not, it's still not anywhere near the standard of the top leagues in Europe or, uh, it's a good in, first step. Uh, though. It's a great first step. Yeah. And if anything, I mean, you know, Rugby Canada has the 20-odd uh, players out with the pride that are playing together. Yeah. And they've got, you know, the handful of carded players for the sevens. And so it's just a way that those players don't have to take up those positions for five or six years while they play for Canada. Yeah. You know, they can do that for a year or two and then go to MLR and either you know, stay in the MLR for a while or try to get over to Europe. And then it allows, you know, a continual turnover of players at, uh, you know, at the Pride or, or Sevens or Canada Karting program level. So you see, you see all those games, you see more players and a lot of guys, especially in Canada where, are, you know, nationally our leagues are so spread out. You've got Toronto plays from, you know, June to September or June to October, whatever it is. And then the West Coast doesn't start up until October and goes yeah. to May. So you don't – you never get to see certain players play against each other. And, to, and we don't have 
you know, it used to be the BC League was the best league. So you, after the, the East Coast seasons were done, all those really good players would come out here to try to get into the national team. Right. And that's just not, that's not happening anymore. So it's good that, you know, these players can hop onto it, you know, get signed by an MLR team and get to play against each other and get to train yeah. every day uh, and get a taste for what professionalism actually is. Yeah. Um, I mean, it only takes about, it only takes about two weeks for it to become a job. Like, yeah. you know, you play two or three 80 minute games in a row and you've got another one coming up and you've got a couple knocks little twisted ankle or shoulder or something and you still have to train and you still have to perform yeah and once people are once people are paying you there's no excuses yeah you gotta as soon as you start getting a paycheck you can't just uh you know you know you can't just decide oh uh, to not to not show up and to not give you know, a hundred percent in training and, and all that kind of stuff. So right. I think it's good. I think it's really going to help. Um, if anything, it's just, you know, what is there 10 teams now? Uh, I think there's more than that. I think, I think they had a so couple of teams introduced this year too. So now all of a sudden you've got 300 players playing professionally in, in North America, whereas two years ago you didn't have that. Yeah. I think also too is uh, I mean you played what with London Irish and the Stormers and Super Rugby, right? Did you yeah. did you have any issues getting released for Team Canada events? Um, that no, you... I mean, no, no issues getting released just because it's like a legal requirement to be released to your okay. country in those windows. Yeah. Um. But I in the November test windows, uh, the summer stuff e was easier because our seasons are done. Um, and the only issue was is that I wouldn't essentially for three or four years or five years I didn't get any time off. I went right from, you know, our last game would be May fourth, and then we'd meet up with Canada like the last week of May, um, and then I, I'd, I'd play those three or four tests. And then when I go back, when I go back to Europe or uh, when I go back to England, you know, around the first week of July, it'd be straight back into straight back into preseason. Right. Um, so, I mean, that that burnt me out yeah. quite a lot. But, you know, that's in hindsight at the time. You love doing it. Yeah. Um, and then in the November windows, when our league would still be on and the games are still on. Uh, there was definitely like a little bit of pressure from coaches that were, you know, saying that I should stay around and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess that makes it a little bit hard, trickier for you too, right? So, but you you spend time in London. What were some key moments, I guess? What were some lessons you learned in your experiences from uh, being, playing professionally overseas? How did that help you? Um, how did it help me? How? I guess on the pitch for team Canada, uh, you know, preparing yourself for the, uh, the business side of life when you were done, when you were done work or sorry, done playing rugby. Were there any experiences you took from that, that you still use today in, in your uh, professional career? Yeah, I think so to touch on the Canada stuff. I mean, when we were, you know, the first three, two or three years that I played for the national team, you were only getting, like we were playing in the BC Premiership, and then you go right from playing, 
like James Bay on a Saturday to the next week you're playing Wales. Yeah. So the step, the step was immense. You go from, you know, dominating at a local level to to trying to play against guys that are making three, four, five hundred grand a year. Yeah. Um, and then so it was good to be professional and playing for Irish where we had, you know, our entire squad was you know international guys from England, Ireland, Wales, etc. Um, so you just, just that experience and playing at that level, like, and training at that level every day, um, when you go back into Canada, you, you know, you could try to impart some of that stuff, uh, on the guys who weren't playing professionally. Um, and then when the games, you know, when you were playing the games, you had a, a level of calmness that maybe you didn't have for the, the first three or four years I was playing for Canada. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And then... Yeah, and then, I mean, professionally, you know, in a business aspect or, or post-retirement aspect, um, it's just kind of accepting the grind and, uh, you know, understanding the work that goes into stuff and and teamwork. A lot of the time, it's teamwork um, through whether if, whether it's if you, you don't like someone on the team, but because they're part of the team, you've just got to get on with it and there's not really many issues there or, um, you know, working for other people and, and knowing your role. I mean, yeah. I think that's important. Uh, at the, at the professional level, there's, uh, you know, piano pushers and piano players. Yeah. Um, and the piano players need the pushers and the pushers need the, the piano players. Um, so it's understanding your role in a team dynamic is something that, um, you know, professionally, a lot of people maybe don't realize. You're obviously talking about forwards and backs there, right? Well, <laughs> you know, within the forwards, there's certainly uh, some piano players, but, uh, but yeah, just that whole team dynamic. Some yeah. guys, um, one of the best guy, one of the best players I ever played with, uh, his name was George Skivington. He captained, uh, England Saxons. He's won every trophy there is to win with Leicester and, uh, and the Wasps. Um, and he used to say, listen, if, if I'm ever touching the ball, something is broken down in our attack. I'm here to hit, I'm here to run the line out and hit 40 rucks a game. And so, this is a guy that was, you know, making a lot of money, was uh, incredibly successful, and he didn't want any fanfare. He didn't want the ball. He didn't want to be a major part of the attack. He knew his role specifically. He was, you know, a leader, and he hit 40 rucks a game, which yeah. is, you know, you got a guy doing that. It, it frees up a lot of room and a lot of space for other people. Absolutely. That's it's and it's great when you you know you recognize your role and you you uh, you embrace that role, which is what it sounds like you did, right? So, how do you not follow that guy into battle every game? Yeah, I mean he played. Yeah, he played through every injury known to man. He was a great guy. <laughs> so, you're uh, am I am I right that you're doing some coaching now too? Yeah, so I coached. Obviously, I, I kind of retired with not a whole lot of notice and, and uh, yeah, it's Hey, It was quite quiet, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't really... So they're they're <laughs> unveiling these big retirement things on Rugby Canada for some guys. I'm like, uh, okay, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, 
I just, I was beat up. I had a few injuries. I had knee surgery and it wasn't, it didn't really take and it didn't work. So I just kind of just had to retire. I still had a year left on my contract, but uh, that wasn't going to be honored because of the injury. So I kind of packed up all my shit and mailed it to uh, no fixed address in Vancouver and moved here and kind of just got set up because I hadn't, I hadn't, you know, I'm from Fredericton, but I hadn't lived there really since 2006 or 2007. Yeah. Um, I, I spent some time in Vancouver just because of its proximity to Victoria when I was there. Um, but you know, I was 30 years old. It's Fredericton, a place you kind of want to drop down at 30 and try to like, you know, I'd lived in a big city between Edinburgh, London and Cape town. You know, I, I like cities. Like I grew up on a farm out kind of in the woods. So that wasn't a lifestyle for me. So I wanted a city. So, and I didn't want to do a winter. So it was between uh, <laughs> Toronto and Vancouver, but I didn't, I hadn't had a winter in a while. So right. Vancouver was, um, and there's still a good rugby community here. So I started coaching, ended up coaching the under 18 national team, which was uh, a lot of fun. Um, but the time commitment for that is just too much if you're also trying to start a career. So right. I've had to, I had to stop that, but I still coach, uh, the Marilomas and the BC Premiership. So, <coughs> excuse me, still get to uh, be around the game every day. That's good. You enjoy it still. That's, that's great. Um, last, uh, last, last question here is, um, I guess it might be a little difficult for you because you've been away for so long from New Brunswick, but in, in rugby in New Brunswick, it seems like we're losing players, but I think a lot of sports are in that same boat. Um, a lot of athletes, younger athletes are kind of becoming more specialized and not, uh, you know, just focusing on one sport as opposed to playing two or three like you or I would have when we grew up. Um, I'm not sure if it's like that throughout the rest of the Canada. Um, I guess what would your thoughts be to kind of get rugby back into the spotlight in New Brunswick or elsewhere, kind of like it was in the nineties and two thousands and stuff. Um, you know, going back 10 to 15 to 20 years, is there anything that off the top of your head, you think rugby New Brunswick can do to kind of promote it and get more players out? I mean, I don't know about rugby New Brunswick specifically. Obviously yep. I don't really know the demographics or anything. I haven't, I haven't even been to New Brunswick for about five years. Right. Um, because my parent, my parents are to Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, so oh, okay. I just fly to Halifax when I'm uh, when I'm trying to meet them. Um, but it, I guess certainly when I was playing and and training in at New Brunswick level, it was uh, you know people. It seemed like all sports. You just you went to it was something that you did. If you signed up for a team, like you just showed up. It didn't matter what the weather was like or or anything like that. And I think just kids now are just a little bit more aloof and a little bit flakier and uh, people play video games now. And, uh, and I think there's so much pressure on like professionalism that people, if they're not going to go professional or go to a high level, they've almost, they almost stop playing before they, they start. I mean, I, I know here trying to, make sure guys get out to training on Tuesdays and Thursdays to play on Saturdays. Um, it's part of the, it's the biggest part of the job. It's, yeah. it's not so much coaching. It's just the man management, making yeah. sure that everyone's showing up. And I think uh, the cost of living is, 
everywhere in Canada has gone up so exponentially compared to, to wages that people can't shoot off from work early to go to training or people can't, you know, you know, take a Saturday off to play. Like guys are working, guys are busy. There's lots of other stuff pulling them away, whether it's, you know, video games or travel or other kind of sports. Yeah. Um, and then if you, and then if you're, uh, you know, a construction worker or a brickie or, you know, something like that, you can't afford to maybe hurt a hand or hurt a finger or hurt an ankle because it affects your work the next week. True. Um, so what can I do? I, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's uh, when I when I took over as I also took over as the the president of the rugby section at Marilomas. Yeah. Um, and our biggest thing is getting coaches into all the schools. Yep. Um, that are that are rugby players, not just like a teacher who, you know, one time played rugby and is now kind of trying to facilitate a rugby team. It's yeah. actually yeah. getting current players there to, to coach. Um, and honestly, I think the biggest thing, uh, that rugby needs to do is to go back to touring. Um, (laughs) I, I think back to my first, my first tour was with the Spruce. Um, I was probably 18 or 19 years old and you're with a lot of guys you don't really know. I was probably 10 years younger than the core of the team. Um, and all of a sudden you're in like, you're in St. John's, Newfoundland out on a night out with (laughs) some old guys that you respect and like, and they're buying you beers. And, uh, you know, then you realize what rugby is really about. It's about the touring. Yeah. Certainly at the amateur level, that's, that's what it's all about. It's about getting out on a tour and whether that's just hopping on a bus and going down to Boston for three days or hopping on a flight and going to England for three weeks. Um, I think I think the effort to to go touring is kind of left, um, and I think if they brought that back and at at the school level or the junior level or even at the club level, if you have a tour every year or every other year, it's something that keep people in the game. You yeah. know what I mean? You want to go on that next tour, and uh, but the effort level to get tours off the ground is so high. Um, and the, the coaches and the managers of these clubs, you know, it takes it takes all their time just to get a, a random game off on a Saturday, let alone getting a tour off in another country. And making sure everybody's available. We, I coach uh, Rossi Netherwood School here. Out, uh, it's an independent school. And uh, that's one thing we do is, is tours. Is that a, rich, a rich people's school. Well, in a sense. We have lots. We have a good endowment there. We do offer lots of scholarships. Um, I went to Belial, so, you know. It's uh, it's it's been a nice mix for me, kind of seeing one end of the spectrum to the next. But we have great kids, and uh, we we do tours, and it is you're right, it's a lot of work. But we've been to New York, and this is my fourteenth year there. <clears throat> we've been to New York three or four times. We've been to Boston a couple times. Uh, we were going to try to do Montreal this year, but uh, none of the areas in Montreal were willing to host us, uh, so that kind of it fizzled away this year. So the the our team was pretty disappointed that that happened, and. And you're absolutely 100% correct. It uh, makes all the difference in the world for your team to kind of gel and uh, and to set you up for a pretty good season. Uh, I like your thoughts, too, about uh, getting players into schools. That's one thing I've been lobbying to the NBRU for the last couple of years is, you know, the Loyalists have a, have a large number of players. The Trojans have a large number of players. 
why can't we get some of these players in to help out? Um, maybe not be the head coach, but at least be there to run skill sessions um, and technique sessions uh, to help you know other coaches in that area. Uh, I'm not sure why that's not happening. Um, I think you're right. That would be that would be very helpful for rugby, New Brunswick or, or anywhere I guess in Canada. There's lots of players that could lend some expertise there. So we're gonna we're gonna end here in a couple minutes, but I do have the uh, the question and answer period. So I have five multiple choice questions. And, okay. And uh, I, I think I said to you before we started recording that. Uh, Chauncey and East Pellerin, who's the uh, president of the MBRU, they both scored four out of five, and Cole Keith scored uh, three out of five. So let's see how you do here. They're not overly difficult, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure about your test taking abilities either. You went to Fredericton High, so I'm not sure about that. Well, I wasn't a I wasn't a private school guy like you. If that's what you mean. <laughs> All right. So question one. What year did Canada make it to the to the quarterfinals of the Rugby World Cup? Was it 1987? Was it 1991? All right, you didn't even let me finish. 91's correct. All right, which of these following players, this, this should be an easy one, is not a New Brunswicker who played for Team Canada? Chauncey O'Toole, Cole Keith, Pat Parfrey, Jeb Sinclair. Patty Parfrey. Yeah, okay. Newfoundland boy, right? Yeah, my roommate. Oh, was he? Oh, that's good. Did you did you two fight? Well, I used to. St- no, I used to. No, not Pat. <laughs> I used to stay at Pat Parfrey's uh, house for the summers when I was playing for uh, for the Rock. Okay, that's good. That's good. All right, next question. This one's a little trickier. Who has started the most games for Rugby Canada? So not not Cavs, but who has started the most? Aaron Carpenter, Al Sharon, Winston Stanley, or James Pritchard? Sure. Sharon, I think he started 75 and 76 caps. Not bad. Very good. Very good. All right. So there's a whole bunch of Canada Canadian players that have scored three tries in a match internationally. Only one has scored four. It was in 2000 versus Japan. Was it Steve Gray, James Pritchard, Kyle Nichols, or Taylor Paris? I think it was it 2000 against Japan. Yeah. Um. So Pritch and Paris weren't playing yet. Playing yet. So mm-hmm. who's the other one? Call Nichols and who? Steve Gray. Gray. Yeah. No relation to me. Um. I think it's ah oh, fuck. I go Nichols. Yeah. Well done. Good guess. That was good. Yeah. Kyle Nichols uh, ran in four in 2000 against Japan. All right. Last last question. A little New Brunswick flair for you here. Who is the current president of the Fredericton Loyalists? Is it Blake Edwards, Allison Hustings, Pat O'Donnell, or Allison Ayton? Is it Allison? It is Allison. Nice. Allison Hustings or Allison Ayton? Ayton. Oh, so close. (laughs) (laughs) So you tie tie Chauncey and Ease. That's not bad, though. There's a couple of tricky questions there. You did all right on, though. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jeb. Um, it's been a pleasure. If you ever want to get on again, Chauncey's actually offered to uh, co-host, and uh, maybe we can. Get, oh, maybe we can get. Yes. The, when is that? Maybe we can get the three. The three of us can get on, and uh, and we'll do something again, and uh, let you. How much? How much dead air is there when Chauncey's hosting now? <laughs> 
in all you'll have to listen to it. it it was okay he's you know he's very smart when the when the microphone was off he talked a lot but as soon as i turned the microphone on you know he was chauncey but, Jeez, he's quiet but uh it, yeah i would absolutely love to come on with that guy okay uh and we can tell some much better stories together <laughs> sounds good i'll get the uh, i'll make sure there's some spice rum available and uh we'll go from there awesome thanks for having me on oh anytime thanks uh thanks for taking the call you have yourself a great weekend that was definitely good that was uh that was a great uh great call with jeb uh he said he wants to get back on again uh and it sounds like chauncey o'toole and i are going to do a uh have another conversation with jeb and probably some more uh some more interesting stories there um Hopefully nothing gets broke. We'll try and stay away from too much spice drum for Chauncey. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, thanks again, Jeb. Uh, thanks. It's been great. It was great having you on the show. Can't wait to have you back again. Always great chatting. Rugby with a Freddie Beach guy. You know your stuff. Uh, it was great stories. Real great laughs today. And, and again, thank you. That was awesome. I'd like to say thanks to Ben Sound Music uh, for supplying our tunes. Uh, thank you very much. It's great. Again, feel free to request topics uh, for future podcasts or if you have any questions or queries or uh, you just want to chat or maybe you maybe you want to get online um, and you have some thoughts that would be awesome too you can reach us through email Facebook Twitter and Instagram and again uh, this is it for this week coming up soon we'll have uh, we'll have a couple of girls from the uh, St. John Irish uh, Katie and Chelsea are going to be on to talk women's rugby we're going to as I said have Ian Wilson on to talk uh, laws of rugby uh, from the official standpoint Jack Hanrad will be coming up soon. He and I keep going back and forth on dates um, when when we're going to get scheduled to have him interviewed. Uh, so those three we have coming up, and uh, we're always looking for more guests. So if you know of anybody you want to chat, feel free to get in touch, and uh, we'll see what we can do. And again, uh, this is Jamie signing off. Until next time, keep on rocking. <laughs>